Well, good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Olivia. My husband and I and our family have been coming here for about a year, and Jeff and Christy have been gracious enough to allow me to teach a little uh, along the way. So I want to celebrate that this is the second morning, or second Sunday in a row that I have been on time for church. Last week we were so early, my son got cheese balls, the little, you know, like they're back there today. I put on Facebook him with his cup of cheese balls, and the reaction was overwhelming, the number of people that were upset that they did not get cheese balls at church last week. But I did confirm this morning they were, in fact, the Methodist cheese balls and just had not been put away yet. But the good news is I brought more cheese balls this week for those of you who missed out on them last week. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. If you want to grab your Bible, open it up. You can, or you can welcome to grab the Pew Bible that is at the end of there if you want to read with us. We're kind of diverting a little bit off course today, but it's the book of Acts, so I think that we have the ability to do so as they did often in the book of Acts, get a little off course of where they plan to go. So next week we'll be a little bit back more on track of where we've been, but we're diverting away from 15, 16, 17 and jumping right to Acts chapter 20. It's an interesting chapter because in all the things that Luke left out, he talks about the ministry of Ephesians in Ephesians or in Ephesus that was three years long. He talks about it in about 12 verses. And yet he takes this big stretch in Acts chapter 20 to record a message that Paul gave to the church of Ephesus. I think it's important for us to take a moment to pause this morning and take a look at these verses as well. Because it was important enough for the people of Ephesus to walk 36 miles to here. It was important enough for Paul to pause his journeys to say it. And it was important enough that Luke, who left out all sorts of other things, that he put it in. So let's take a moment and pray this morning. Lord, we just believe you want to speak today. Lord, we just believe that you have a message for our hearts, something we need to hear. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear. May we leave this morning knowing you more. May we leave this morning different. May we leave this morning prepared to turn the world upside down just like Paul did. In Jesus' name, amen. We tease our children a lot about welcome to being a clinkner. We tease them when they're like really good average sports people, athletes. Welcome to being a clinkner. You're welcome. We went to this park one day where you had to like, there was this drop you could do, but you had to prove you could fall. Their friends could not fall. My kids were rock star fallers. My husband and I looked at each other and said, welcome to being a clinkner. We tease them often that we're really sorry. We're not sure we even should have reproduced, but here you are. And we joke a lot in our family about things that we're pretty sure only happened to us. Like the time we knocked over an entire hostess display in the grocery store, which my husband would tell you is totally my fault, I'd argue otherwise. (laughs) Or the time that I got attacked by a cat and spent three days in urgent care with IV antibiotics while my husband tried so hard not to laugh for three days. I am still known in urgent care in Oregon as the cat lady. But the classic Klinkner story in our household is the time that this giant rat was walking across the rafters of our garage where we kept our washer and dryer in Oregon. And this rat lost its footing and it fell off and down towards the laundry basket. 
going headfirst into a pair of my underwear that was hanging off the side of the basket. In an effort to get out, the rat began to do this, tying itself tighter and tighter and tighter. And so that I can now say that a rat met its glory in my underwear. (laughs) A whole new meaning to Victoria's Secret. (laughs) But I don't think those things happen to anybody else but us. And so it's a long-standing joke when things happen. It's, it's a clinkner thing. And we apologize to my children all the time. But I think when we look at the book of Acts, we make the mistake that we look at it and we say, well, that was a Paul thing. That was an apostle thing. That was something that God did then, but he wouldn't do that now. In fact, the verses we're going to look at, it's interesting. If you look, 90% of the commentators say, these are verses for leadership. But when Paul wanted to go to Ephesus, he wanted to talk to all the people in Ephesus, but he didn't have time, so he called for the elders to come to him. You see, these were verses, these was a message not just for the leaders of Ephesus, they were a message for everybody because Paul's about to share his heart on what it means to be a minister for Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you this morning that every single one of you is called as a minister of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, the Bible tells us, has been given the ministry of reconciliation. And though it will look different for each of us, Paul said, I'm the sinner of all sinners. If God can do this through me, guess what? He can do it through you. So this morning as we open up the text, I want you to stop for a moment and get out of your mind that this was just for Paul. Or that this was just for the leaders at Ephesus. And I want you to realize that this message is for you. We're going to pick up in verse 17 where it says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. In the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This verse is actually better translated, but none of these things move me. And he goes on to say, now I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with us, with, that he bought with his own blood. I know that, I ha- that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. 
You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. The Ephesians had a special place in Paul's heart. Paul spent the major, a larger time in Ephesus than he did anywhere else. So the Bible tells us it was almost three years that he was there. He saw such a turn in the city of Ephesus. If you go back to Acts chapter 19, you see that the people had stopped worshiping the god Diana. So much so that the silversmiths were losing business and the whole city rose up and against Paul and his disciples because they had changed the whole city and who they worshipped. And Paul had fled when the city rose up and he had spent three months in Greece and now he was headed to Jerusalem. And he wanted one last chance to share with him their, with his heart. He wanted one last chance to, sit, to share with them what it meant to be a minister of the Lord. And the first thing we see in verses 17 to 21 is that Paul, as a minister of the Lord, understood the things that really mattered. He understood his purpose. I work at a desk where people complain a lot. And sometimes at the end of the day, it's so wearisome. The things that I have spent my energy on all day long. In fact, this week, one of the people I work with leaned onto my desk and he said, are you ever tired of spending so much of your time dealing with the things that just don't matter? Talk about an open door. Because the truth is, right now I'm going to school to get my master's in divinity. I had these great things that I thought God was going to do with me and in me and through me. And I'm sitting at a desk dealing with the fact there's no toilet paper in the women's locker room. <laughs> and it's easy at the end of the day to lose sight of my purpose. It's easy at the end of the day to get consumed with those things, to let those things bother me. And Paul says to the Ephesians, you know how I lived the whole time that I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. He knew that he was called to serve God. Wherever it was, in whatever way. He opens most of his epistles this exact same way. You know how I lived amongst you. Paul preached the gospel both with how he lived and how he was amongst the people as well as with his life. And he knew that was his one and only purpose. And so it didn't matter where he was. It didn't matter what desk he sat at. None of the other things consumed him. None of the other things worried him because he understood he had one purpose and that was to serve God. You have to remember that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had extensive education. He had an audience at all times hanging on his every word. He had great power as the Pharisee of Pharisees. It was at his command that the Christians were persecuted and killed. And yet now he says, now I serve God. Going from house to house. 
His captive audience was not the whole temple. It was a small house with a few men. His power was no longer the ability to speak and have others follow. His power was now the grace of God. He says, I do all these things in the power of the grace of God. From grace to grace I live. His purpose was no longer to manipulate the word, to get people to respond, to act, to do. His, his purpose now was simply to preach the truth in the gospel. He understood that his only purpose was to serve God and not man. He served man for a really long time in the name of God. And God has flipped it. He didn't worry about what, he didn't fear what others would say. He didn't worry. He says, I don't shrink back from the teaching. It literally means I don't fear what will happen if I say these things. Because I'm here to serve God. Ministry as a life, ministry that God has called us to, having a heart of ministry simply means looking up and saying, I don't serve man, I serve God. That no matter where I am, no matter how big or small my captive audience is, no matter the sphere of influence, there is someone who is going to lean in and say, do you ever get tired of not having any meaning in anything? Because you're serving God and he has a plan and a purpose. He understood his gifts was to preach and to teach, and so he did it at all times, from house to house, giving the things that were profitable. God has given you specific things that people need, things that I don't have. A heart of ministry is simply to say, I'm going to give all that I have to profit others, not for what I gain in return, but because I serve the Lord. He gave it to both Jews and Greeks. There was no one that he hated any longer. There was no one that he spared the gospel from. There was no one that he looked at and said, it's not for you because Paul served God. And so he spoke and he spared the gospel from no man. He did not hold back what he had to give from anyone because he understood what mattered. We get this so turned around sometimes, you guys. At the end of the day, I come home sometimes and I think, oh, the time that I wasted today on the things that just don't matter. The only thing that Paul says matters is serving God by preaching the gospel. Everywhere we go, in how we live and how we speak, the end of the day, it's all that will matter. In understanding his purpose, Paul also was able to, able to keep his problems in perspective. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. <clears throat> There's some teaching in the book of Acts that I'm going to share with you, and I'll tell you what I think about it, and then you can look into it on your own. 
Some people, there's a, what happened with Paul was that Paul was determined to go to Jerusalem. And from city to city, people warned him that he was going to be imprisoned if he went. In fact, in the next first, a chapter, in chapter 21, someone actually takes a belt and binds his hands and says, this is what will happen to you if you go. But Paul was convinced that God had called him to go. Paul was convinced that the Spirit, even though the Spirit warned him personally as well, that there would be hardships when he went, he was convicted that he was supposed to go. And there are people that will take this scripture and they will say to you, see, you can have plan B. We can push so hard against what God wants that he'll just give us what we think we're supposed to do. See, had Paul not gone, had Paul listened to all the warnings, he wouldn't have been imprisoned. If Paul had listened, he would have never been bound. And I just personally don't see in the character of God that he ever at any point in time wanted plan B for our lives. I don't see at any moment in his character when he says the prodigal son, the minute he turned around, I was there to receive him that God has a plan B for our lives. Sometimes we take the long way home, but he always brings us home. And even the people at some point, as they t warned Paul and talked to Paul, they eventually said, okay, Paul, clearly God wants you to go. You see, him being warned that there would be hardship didn't mean he wasn't supposed to go. It just meant he was being warned that it was going to be a rough road. When my husband and I got married, there was actually a woman who thought my husband was supposed to marry her daughter and actually said to my husband, if you marry Olivia... You will be like Saul, not Paul Saul, Saul from the Old Testament, who started off well and ended poorly. As I was talking to my husband about this, about how I firmly believe that God's mercy and grace is so much bigger than us and that there is no plan B, that his, his giftings and his callings are without repentance, my husband looked at me and he goes, so are we going to let go of that thing that woman said? <laughs> no way. I like that in my back pocket because I really like to win arguments. <laughs> but here's the thing, you guys. Sometimes the visions are misinterpreted. Sometimes the prophecies are misinterpreted. But God's will for our life never is. There was nothing that Paul could do. And here's the beauty. Paul went and you bet he was in prison. But you know what? God gave him favor. And he wrote majority of the epistles, majority of the scriptures we have today from that very place. So if you're praying to write a book, be careful what you pray for. <laughs> the warning was there. But Paul says in response to all these warnings, to all these people, he says, none of this moves me. It's interesting, that word in the Greek where it says moves me is never interpreted that way anywhere else in the New Testament. That word is seen dozens and dozens and dozens of time in the New Testament, but you know how it's translated? Do, make, and bring forth. It literally refers to the fruit coming out of you. The things that you're doing, the life that you're making, that's how it's translated everywhere else in the New Testament. When Paul says, none of these things move me, he is saying, God has a plan for me. God has a call on my life. God has a task for me to do. And there is nothing that will change what I do or the fruit that's in my life or what I plan on or, or what God is making me into. Nothing can change that. He had that confidence because he understood 
that there was nothing that could separate him from the love of God. He had that confidence because he says, I don't count my life dear to myself. He understood that the very worst possibility in all situations, death, had no sting over him any longer. That he could run the race with endurance because God had a task for him to complete and there was nothing that could get in the way of that. It's amazing to read what Paul writes about tribulations and troubles that he faced. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that this life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Are they servants of Christ, he says? I am out of this mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, even flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent night and day in the open seas. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known the hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not, and do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast all things that show my weakness. I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? In all of that, there was nothing that could separate him from the love of God. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you have done. There is no trial that you face. But we're like those believers, right, that looked at Paul and said, don't go. There's no way that God, this can be God's will if this is what's going to happen Paul says, I won't be moved. I know what God has called me to. I know the task that's before me. And I know that nothing can separate me from his love, so I'm going to go. We get bad news all day long, don't we? There are hardships all day long. A dear friend of mine posted something on Facebook that made me realize something was wrong. And so I texted her this week, and she responded back, my mom has cancer and the chemo didn't work. And then she texted, whether it be two months or two years, it's not long enough. But I won't let fear win. 
Because we can look at that. When we face trials, what's our first question? Lord, did I fail you or did you fail me? Right? When Paul found himself in prison, that would have been a really easy question to ask, Lord, who failed here? And the answer is neither. Because there is nothing that can happen to you. There is nothing that can happen around you. There is nothing that can move you. Because none of it will ever change who you are in him. None of it will change how loved you are in him. None of it will change the purpose on your life to serve him. Whether it be two more months or two more years. Because death, it has no sting. When writing about Acts 20, Spurgeon says, there used to be a gospel that men would die for. Does that gospel still not exist? You see, that's the power of the gospel in our lives. The gospel in our life says, I am so loved that nothing can separate me, not even death. And so I press on in the race, as Paul says, I just want to finish well, whether that be two months or two years or many more. He understood the, the, his purpose. He had perspective on his problems. And most importantly, he understood what his heart was to be towards people. It's an interesting thing that he begins by telling us, look, I serve God, not men. I don't care what men think of me. I'm not here to make them happy. I'm not here to get any kind of return from them. But guess what? Our call in life is to serve those very people that we may never see any return on. It's a hard thing. Because here's the deal. People will hurt us. People will let us down. People will betray us. And Paul's saying, and yet those are the very people that God has called me to serve. That is the purpose of my life. He says in Acts 20, i got to get back. He says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare... To you, for you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard." Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul understood his purpose and his problems, but what turned the world upside down was what Paul did in the lives of the people, and that he loved them as Christ loved them. 
You see, we get mixed up that we think somehow if we have the right programming, somehow if we have the right message, somehow if we do just the right thing, that God's going to turn the world around us upside down. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the thing that made the difference was how they treated people. If you look at church history, the people in charge of Rome in the days of the, as the Christian, Christianity began to spread and Christians were taking over the world in their mind, the, the leader of Rome said this. He said, they make us look bad because they not only take care of their own, but they take care of ours as well. When was the last time we could say that the church made the government look bad because we were doing such a good job of taking care of not only our own, but also others. That's what turned the world upside down. The love of Christ that compelled Paul to say to these people, I withheld nothing from you, nothing that was good. I didn't come to you to take from you. I came to give. I, I took care of the weak. I gave you the word. It was the heart of Paul who looked at them and said, I commend you now to the truth and to grace. He looked at them with the potential of who they would be in Christ. He looked at them with the potential of what God's grace could do in and through them. The leader of the band Under Oath, Under Oath was a band from back when I was cool, and they, had, they were a Christian band, kind of hard metal rock. And they're kind of making a comeback right now. They just came out with an album in 2018. And this week they released an interview with the leader of the band who no longer claims to be a Christian. You see, when he was in under oath those years ago, he got into drugs and he was struggling. And he says, if I were still a Christian, I would be dead. Because the Christian world saw my sin and they condemned me. But others came alongside me and helped me. He's clean now. He's sober now. But those words hit me so hard this week. If I were still a Christian, I would be dead. Those words should never be able to be said. But it requires that we look at people with grace and compassion and the hope of what God's word can do in their lives. It means that we can't look at people, at what we can gain from them. As Paul said, I never took anything from you, but I gave to you. We have to look at what we can give, knowing there may never be any return this side of heaven. It means we have to have the heart of God for the people that are around us. It's not an easy task, but with God, it's possible because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, because of the love that he has given to us, we now have that same grace and love to give to those around us. We just have to tap in. I was looking on the internet for what's trending right now, what's turning our world upside down right now, and I found three things. The first was the kid here in Minnesota who started a hot dog stand to pay for his own clothing. And somebody complained to the city that he didn't have a permit. And so the city, the police officers and the health department came in and they taught him how to be up to code. And they gave him a permit. And Oscar Meyer came down in the Wienermobile this week and gave him hot dogs. And it has gone viral. It is turning the world upside down. 
The second was a story of a police officer who saw a man outside of McDonald's who was trying to get a job, but they told him, you can't get a job until you shave. And so the police officer stood there, and he shaved the man and then sent him in to get the job. That has gone viral this week and is turning the world upside down. And the last one was the story, and my husband, at this point, I was sobbing, and he took my phone away. But the last one was the story of, if you haven't seen the whale off the coast of Seattle, whose baby died just 30 minutes after being born. And as part of their mourning process, they put the baby across their nuzzle, and they swim across the ocean. But right now, it's the time of year where the waves are huge, and there's four knots of waves coming against this whale. And so there are boats going alongside on either side of the pod, telling people to stay away so that they don't make it any more difficult for this grieving mother to swim. That's turning the world upside down. That's gone viral. Can you imagine what God would do if each one of us went back to the house as the elders of Ephesus were sent back to their little home churches that they oversaw? If each one of us went back to the sphere of influence that God has given to us in our lives and we simply shaved the homeless man? What could God do if we saw people the same way that Jesus saw people? And he looked upon the crowds and he had compassion. And he healed their sick. And he met their needs. Oh, what God could do. A kid that I grew up with, his uh, son was born with a heart defect that was so severe, they actually asked that they abort him before he was even born. And they were determined that God had a plan for their son. A couple years ago when he turned four or so, they moved to Texas because there was better hospitals there that could take care and could do the surgeries he needed to have. And last month, they went in and his heart output and it was just not keeping up with his growth. And so they ended up flying to Boston or driving to Boston last minute. And it was amazing to watch this journey as people all over the country were praying for my friend's son as he went through another heart surgery and then another. And his wife posted, at the end of it all, we leave the hospital today in heart failure. She said, and in all the honors I've had in all my life, I have had no greater honor to, than to walk this boy home. You guys, we are just here to walk each other home. Whether it be preaching the gospel and speaking the truth, or looking to the person who is struggling and extending grace, or recognizing that we're all in a little bit of heart failure, eh? And we all just need someone to walk us home. We should look at it as there is no greater honor that we will ever have in life than to walk people home. That was the heart of Paul. That is the ministry he's trying to impart to the, the people of Ephesus. To send them back so that they aren't torn away, so that they aren't led astray, so that they know that they have a purpose, so that they know that even if times get tough, they have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that they know that as long as they're loving as God loved, they're finishing well. It's worth mentioning that there is a great contrast to the life of Paul and the life of Jonah. 
Paul was a man who had persecuted the Christians, right? God got a hold of his life, and he gave everything he's got, full out, loving the Lord, loving the people, preaching the gospel. Jonah was a man who hated the Ninevites. And God said, go, I want to save the Ninevites. And Jonah said, no way. And Jonah took the long way into God's plan for his life, through the belly of a whale. And he gave probably the lamest sermon ever given, and the entire town, the entire area of Nineveh got saved. But what's amazing about the story of Jonah is that at the end of his life, he's sitting on the sand and the sun is beating down and it says that God caused a branch to grow up and shade Jonah so that he was relieved from the sun. And then God turned around and caused a worm to rise up and eat the plant. Jonah literally says, Lord, what's up here? God says to him, Jonah, did you love the plant? Because of the way that it shaded you. And he said, Lord, I did. And God looked at Jonah or said back to Jonah, that's how I love the people of Nineveh. How much more would I want to spare them? Ministry isn't about having to be the pastor of a church. Ministry doesn't mean we have to be Paul. Ministry means that we have the heart of God that understands that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's all we need to know to have purpose, to have perspective, and to love people. That's it. God so loved the world, and so should we. Let's pray. Lord, we just know that Each person here, God, I believe each person here, you have committed a sphere of influence, Lord. You have people in their path, in their day, in their life, their home, at their work, Lord. Each one of us called to the ministry of reconciliation. Each one of us called to proclaim the gospel of Christ and the love that he has. Lord, may you give us your heart for ministry as Paul had your heart. Lord, may we see things as you see them. May we love people as you love them, not for any return, but simply because you first have done it for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Paul left, he fell at his feet, and they all came and they prayed with him because they were grieved. The reality is that we still have the turmoil and the grief here on earth. So don't leave today. If you are someone that needs prayer, if you're someone that needs someone to sit down with you, grab the person next to you so that we can center again in the heart of God. Have a wonderful week. There's cheese balls. And I'm not taking any of them home, so eat lots of cheese balls. God bless you guys. Have a great day.